0: Hey everyone, I'm Parker Samuelson.
1: And I'm Kate Gardner. And this is the Ascendance Podcast, featuring descendants of successful families ascending into their own identity and impact.
0: Each episode, we'll introduce you to a guest who will share their family legacy and their next-gen narrative.
1: We hope that you're inspired and enjoy the show. The Ascendance podcast. So glad you are here with us today. We have um, a new friend. We're so excited for you to hear his story named Mikey Mitchell.
0: Yeah, Mikey. All right. So Mikey is a good friend of mine. I'm excited to do his intro today. We're actually roommates in college. Um, So yeah. (laughs) So at Wheaton, um, Mikey was a little bit of an overachiever. Nothing's really changed, but he was a triple major in Bible, business, and rhetoric. And he was the student chaplain at WEN. And afterwards, he started, it was actually really during uh, the end of his college, he started a company with his dad called Restoration Apparel, which, if I'm gonna try to say this right, it's uh, dye sublimated sportswear apparel. Um, and they have been growing rapidly and have factories all over the world and um, a variety of different employees. And uh, he's also the president of a nonprofit called 1000 Lighthouses. Yes and he is also the youth pastor of his church so this guy's busy but um we got him on our podcast today and we're here in nashville all together here so a lot of fun but hey mikey thanks so much for coming hey, out, it's man. an
2: honor man and
0: you know your, your roommate
2: can uh, inflate things a bit uh, we, uh,
0: <laughs> i always like uh, hearing
2: my story through parker's lens but it's an honor to be here and uh great to be with new friends. So thanks for
0: having me. Love it. Love it. Okay. So I'm a little bit more familiar with Mikey's story. So there's some specific things that I wanted to ask him about, about, about what it was like um, growing up for Mikey and his family and some of the lessons that he learned from his family and how they passed down some wisdom to Mikey that I was able to experience as a good friend of his. So Mikey, specifically with your the family DNA that you have for entrepreneurship. Can you tell the story of how your dad was able to inspire you when you were a young kid to become a young entrepreneur and help you start a variety of different small businesses?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, my dad is an entrepreneur at his core. Uh, Everything that he sees is an opportunity uh, that started when he was little. Uh, He worked at Kentucky fried chicken, um, you know, is a fry cook and would always take the chicken home with him and stock his locker and sell it to the kids at school. You know, that's uh, one example. He basically, you know, from his early years, um, spent his time trying to take one thing and turn it into two, into three, into four. Um, and that's continued through college and so his early years at college he started a clothing company as well so that's what we do still today as a little foreshadow Um, and so he uh, was selling party favors to sororities and fraternities and um, along the way met a beautiful woman named Betsy and that's my mom and so she became his artist and and they transitioned to uh, doing screen printed clothing and so um, they were you know, decorating for sor- uh, sororities and fraternities, and and along the way, uh, my mom designed what's called the Beacom Hawk, um, and it happened to be the year that the Kansas Jayhawks went to the Final Four, and uh, so the design that my mom sketched up ended up on the shirts of everyone at the university, and then expanded nationwide, and that's really what catapulted his business forward, um, and and so he experienced a lot of success in that, and took what was a very normal idea, which is decorating t-shirts and uh, developed it into something that was scalable and was sold multiple times. Um, And so his love for creating and seeing the world as a blank canvas was translated over to me in my early years. Um, And thankfully I'm wired like this. We're talking about this. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I love to um, achieve, but also to create. Uh, and if it's not developing in many ways for me, it, it feels stagnant, and, and I have the tendency to, you know, to look elsewhere if, if I can't see an opportunity. And so, as a little kid, that was something that I I was drawn to. Um, but he he saw that, recognized it in me, and <laughs> thankfully understood what that was like, uh, and helped me along the way develop a number of different businesses. And so, um, some crazy stuff we. Uh, we bought and sold office cubicles together. So we, we figured out that um, businesses that were moving out of their office spaces didn't know what to do with these bulky, you know, uh, gargantuan metal structures. So like, man, you know, you have time, you have a wrench, you should go into these places and, and disassemble them, you know, hire a friend. And uh, we'll post it on Craigslist and we can resell them. It's like, okay, yeah, sounds, sounds good. <laughs> and so we started doing that, just finding offices, uh, walking in and saying, Hey, what are you guys going to do with these big metal things? And they said, we don't know what we're going to do with these big metal things and say, well, I have a wrench and I have a friend. And so we would <laughs> disassemble them and resell them and uh, you know, buy and sell uh, washing washing machines and washers and dryers and this I don't know if it's okay for a podcast, but my business strategy for this was a little sketchy. Um, I specifically <laughs> would look for washers and dryers that um, were rusty. So anything that had, you know, a uh, little red rust on it uh, was an opportunity because uh, red rust plus white spray paint equaled a new washer and dryer. <laughs> so I, uh, and he helped me along the way there, not really necessarily with that idea, but just, you know, to purchase and, um, to resell and um, to, you know, ignite this excitement about um, developing and creating. And, and um, another idea that, you know, he had for me, uh, it just came to him, you know, one, one day after school. He's like, you know what you should do? You should buy and sell grass seed. He's like, grass seed? I don't know if I've ever envisioned myself as a guy who sells grass seed. He's like, well, here's the, here's the thing about grass seed. Grass seed is like it's like throwing gold in the ground. You can buy it at 25% of cost and throw it in the ground. And and every seed that you toss in the ground, not only grows plants, but grows money. I was like, what? It's like, okay, I don't know. It still doesn't sound that appealing and this is how he speaks. You know, he just paints the grandiose vision of of what I'm supposed to do. And and it's, you know, in this case, it was just very hard to get excited about the idea. So I went to school hoping that it would pass. Um, When I came home that day, opened the garage door and Lo and behold, in front of me, there was two tons of grass
0: seed. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. Uh, So, okay, I got one more question for you as far as what it was like growing up and some of the values um, that you were able to impart from your dad. So I know when you went to Wheaton, uh, tell the story about the conversation that you had with your dad about um, what it was like to make the decision to... Spend the money to go to Wheaton, as opposed to not going and just starting a business uh, like you've already done. And what was that like? Yeah, I guess just to take that story two
2: steps back, um, once again to uh, my years growing up, uh, I was both both blessed and cursed with an early realization from my dad's teaching um, of the time value of money and the time value of investment in general. Uh, An example of this, I had been saving up my money, was so excited about the idea of of a new airsoft gun. And this wasn't any airsoft gun. This was like a $215 airsoft gun, but I I had saved up for it. I had earned it. The day I went to buy this airsoft gun, my dad sat me down he said, son, have you thought about this? It's like, yes, I've thought about this. He's like, so you've thought about what $215 could be in 10 years or 20 years, the investment that could be in your family someday or maybe a down payment of a house I was like, I mean, I've, I've thought about it Dad. I don't know if I've thought exactly about them, you know, but I've thought, I promise I've given it some thought. He's like, okay, well, if you, if you really want to go buy this airsoft gun, I'll, I'll support you in it, but um, just want to make sure you've given it some thought. And so uh, I, I definitely did not buy the airsoft gun. <laughs> it went into an investment and I'm thankful that, you know, that was the route I took, but uh, that was just a small picture into, what I was saying is just this: this bigger mantra of of things becoming bigger things over time. Investment of of um, college, you know, being something that's not that 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 will grow and will develop over time, and you know, giving that a lot of thought. And so, when I was um, going to college, uh, I was blessed with a family who was able to support me fully in in that decision, and they gave me an opportunity to go anywhere I wanted to go, and. Um, I chose Wheaton and, um, before I, I went to Wheaton, um, instead of just secretly paying my way through as my parents, uh, my dad sat me down again. He said, uh, have you given this thought? And I said, um, no, what are you doing? Why are you, where are you going with this? He's like, yeah, dad, I've given it thought. He's like, okay, you, you, uh, you are sure that college is the decision for you. I was like, yeah, I'm sure it's the decision I, I want to make. He's like, okay, um, let's do a little math on this. Okay. Cause um, you, you know what this costs, right? I was like, yeah, it's, it's a lot. He's like, it's like hundred and over hundred thousand dollars. He's like, do you know what hundred thousand dollars could be in 10 years or 20 years? It's like, yeah, it could be a lot, you know? Um, he's like, you could start a business, um, you could invest it. He says, but I want you to make the decision yourself. I fully back you in this decision, because on the flip side of that, life's not about money (laughs) at its core. Mm -hmm. You know, the investment of of your schooling, you know, these teachers who are pouring into you, these relationships that you're going to, I mean, that can exceed beyond any, you know, financial return on your um, college experience. But I just want to make sure that you've given that thought. And like Parker was saying, I, I was a little bit of an overachiever in college. And that's part of how I'm wired. But a lot of that came from uh, my dad's focused effort to make sure I understood what investment meant, not just investment financially, but investment um, intellectually and with my time. And that has carried, you know, past college for me as well.
1: Yeah, it's so inspiring, Mikey. I love that there's this sense that your family really helped you to be intentional. And very, very thoughtful, very just all in with with the way that you guys understood your resources and um, how they could bring long-term thriving. Um, So it's a great thing for all of us to hold on to. And then transitioning now in your story into your young adult years, um, tell us about how you started to define yourself, whether in college um, or now after, um, how did that process develop of, of you feeling like you could really come into the fullness of who you are?
2: So I would say I'm, I'm a bit of a unique entrepreneur because money hasn't been that much of a driving force in in my decision-making and, and part of that does, you know, come from growing up in a family where, where you aren't always worried about money and it's not something you have to give a ton of thought to. But, um, for me, it's been a lot more, like I said, of a blank canvas of a creative process that I really enjoy stepping into. And, and so, um. A, a, a huge part of my story is actually just this this entrepreneurial vision for impact at large and a desire to create things that are going to bless people. my heart has been wrecked multiple times um, through trips you know to places um, in, in developing countries and um, through relationships with people um, who, have been through a lot of difficulty. And uh, in my early years, transitioning to my, you know, my college years, I'd say that that was one of the driving forces behind a lot of, of my thought processing, my entrepreneurial vision. It's just like, wow, can't, there's something more than just making money here. Um, uh, You know, how can you create potentially with this love that you have for business and an engine that can, be a source of dignity for people that can be a source of of protecting people and and, um, allowing people to feel like artists and creators and and so um, I think that that was honestly a bit of a divergence from um, my early years um, with the entrepreneurial vision that became a bit more of my own vision and Wheaton College is a great place to curate that and to yeah, develop that vision more, more so. And so, um, I've had a heart for ministry. Um, so for Christian ministry, uh, and for sharing, um, the good news, you know, from, from my belief of, of what Jesus has done and the greater vision, um, that there is there, um, for people and the hope that, that it can give. And, um, and so I, I think as I transitioned into, um, my own vision for entrepreneurship, the idea of a horizon of being a horizon painter for people has come to the forefront. And I've found that I am most myself when I'm sitting in front of someone who has this fire in their eye for the first time, where they say, Oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, you're not just a worker. You're not just a, you know, you're a creator, you're an artist. You can. And so I think that that, um, is really this desire to be a horizon painter, both a horizon of of the hope that, that I have experienced in Jesus and also the horizon that other people can experience as artists, as creators, as leaders in their family. That's really, really what I um, have been focused on. And I, I feel like it, like i said it was a divergence away um, from my early years and entrepreneurial vision but has started to recircle back around actually with my my dad's story um, and how he's you know kind of reframed his focus on impact and you know a desire to to um leave a la- lasting um, impact on, on the world you know as, as he gets older
1: so really um, inspiring. And it seems like you've, you've done that work. You've explored a lot of different fields and um, throughout college, especially been able to expose yourself to various ways to make impact and cultivating your own heart of faith, heart of vision. Um, so tell us how that led you into starting your own company.
2: Absolutely. So I guess I can speak a little bit to my company and um, who we are today. That'll inform a bit of my answer um, to the question. So Company's name is Restoration Apparel Company. Um, we are full cut-and-sew uh, manufacturers of athletic apparel. Uh, we are producing through a new, new technology called dye sublimation. It's amazing, by the way. <laughs> Look it up. D-Y-E sublimation. Which I spelled the easy word on that. <laughs> uh, but it it's the future of apparel manufacturing. And it's it's also the future in our minds of, of how people can. Regain the artistry, regain the dignity um, through, well, the product that we're selling has margins. You know, it allows us to sell it at high enough um, price points to be able to refit the worker back into the equation. If you didn't know, um, the sewing industry is actually the largest exploitative industry in the world. So if you're talking about slave labor, there is none bigger than the sewing industry. And, um, and my dad actually. Like I said, was in the apparel industry for over 30 years. Had sold his company multiple times. Um, took a year of retirement, and in that year, actually became aware of the exploitation in the industry, and and that uh, was significant for him because he felt like he had been feeding into this system that is broken for his entire career. And so, the the company Restoration Apparel Company basically just came from our our you know subline, which is restoring dignity to apparel manufacturing. Um, and for me, the idea of restoring dignity was more than just money, like we had talked about before. Uh, money is one thing. Yes, people can experience dignity and, have a, and and having a good paying job and supporting a bunch of other people in places like Haiti and Egypt and um, the Philippines. And, uh, but, but more so than that, the idea of dignity for me comes back to artistry. Um, Sewing was an art form. (laughs) People would create something, they would look at that something and would say, I have made something that is impacting the world. And they give it to someone, they see the joy on their face when they give it to them. That doesn't exist anymore. Through the Industrial Revolution, people became one step in a process producing something, way too much of something, (laughs) knowing that what they were producing actually wasn't impacting the world, you know, they were going to work and then they slowly got squeezed out of the equation of the financial model because, um, you know, there are a lot of a lot of variables in price for textiles. You have fabric, you have thread, you have rent for your facility. All of those things are the same in every other country. In China, in Bangladesh, and wherever you go, your cost is going to be about the same once you get to the bottom dollar on it. The only variable is the person at the sewing machine and they happen to be the only person at the meeting who has no say. So over many years of globalization and china competing against bangladesh competing against vietnam you had the worker being squeezed further and further out of the equation of dignity. Not only are they treated like machines but they are actually making some you know making an amount of money that is not allowing them to care for their families. And so circling back around to our company and restoring dignity to apparel manufacturing is twofold. It's paying people what they deserve, allowing them to have this exciting hope and future ahead of them. And secondly, it's regaining artistry. It's like, let's create something with lots of colors. Let's create something for kids who, who are going to play sports. Let's show pictures of those kids playing sports in the uniforms to our sewers. Let's talk about how what they're creating is impacting the world. Let's not produce 40,000 of something, but let's produce 25. So um, that really, I think, is, you know, the story of the beginning of our company and the excitement that we, we saw and it, we, we viewed it as, as really much a hope, you know, for us um, to, to impact the, the general buyer, to, to connect with the general buyer and, you know, impact workers.
1: That's so awesome, Mikey. Wow. i um, really inspired by your vision for impact on the lives of these workers. Um, and I know you and your dad are in business together so tell us about
2: how that happened and just how that dynamic is going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, we were both pretty intrigued by this technology, dye sublimation. And so we we kind of, you know, viewed it as, as the future of apparel manufacturing, but also, you know, through the larger lens of, of finally finding a way in the apparel industry to impact people without having to only focus on the artisan network, people who are willing to pay way too much for a scarf than it's worth, or you know, those kind of things. And so um, we started the company together. And uh, from the get go, people were saying, don't do it, man. This is, is doing a, a business with your dad is, is going to be tough. Um, there's dynamics about that. There's, you know, he's never going to not going to not be your dad, you know, in business, you have to be peers. Um, and that was a difficult thing for me to process through um, because I had never been in a relationship with my dad where we were peers, he had always been my, my dad, and he would be giving me advice. And, um, and so uh, I, you know, had to process through that a lot and, and um, eventually decided, yeah, that it it was the right decision. Um, I wanted to be shoulder to shoulder uh, with someone that I looked up to, and he was one of those people. And in the ministry, that's how I got involved there. Um, I just fell in love with this pastor in the Middle East and, and decided to hang out with him as much as I possibly could. And then, uh, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're, working on, you know, a nonprofit. And, um, and so I think a lot of my life has just been surrounding myself with giants and, and trying to learn and then, you know, having that develop into something more. And, um, and so I very much have viewed my dad as a giant since the beginning, I trust him, Um, I knew that it would be difficult, and that'd be a learning experience. um, But we just decided to go for it. And um, I think since the very beginning, um, my dad has defied the odds and has showed a humility that Allows the dynamic to work. Um, he has such a pure heart. Um, his motivation is actually to impact people. He doesn't have sub motivations. He's not in it to, um, you know, to make an extra dollar or to prove himself to me or, or anything like that. And and then vice versa, he's given me space to make mistakes to, you know, have my own voice from the very beginning. You know, he's he said, hey, uh, I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a backseat role. Um, you know, as this company develops, I want to make you the CEO. Um, you know, I I can oversee sales, but I want your voice to be the final say, um, which takes a lot of humility and trust. And, um, and so we've gone about that. Yeah. Now, you know, for multiple years, and I think three years in, I view my dad as, as one of my best friends, as a peer, um, as someone I'm, I'm able to, through his humility, um, call out if, if he's saying something that I don't feel is, is right. Um, and vice versa, I feel like he has, you know, that freedom in my life to call out, um, things that he, he feels I can do differently in a way that a father can't necessarily without these defense is coming up, you know, as these teenage defenses, uh, we've, we've been able to process through that, through the mechanism of business, um, which I'm really thankful for. And, um, yeah.
0: Great. Thanks Mikey. So, I got one last question. I know Kate has another question as well, but so you are running this company, you, but you're also, we haven't mentioned this, but you're also the president of a nonprofit. You're also the youth pastor of your church and you just renovated a house um, from, from the studs. Uh, Talk to us about how you're able to find balance in all of those things. And do you have any practices that you implement in your life to be able to maintain balance and kind of a mental health among all of those different responsibilities.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it it sounds like a lot more when you say it that way. Um, Like I said, a lot of it's just driven by relationship. Uh, So I am inspired by people. I love talking to people. I love learning about their world. And I think my involvement in the nonprofit has just been greater exploration of someone else's world and the desire to be involved there. I actually was in graduate school. I'm getting my MBA and halfway through was approached by this pastor um, and his partner. Um, and they asked if I would take on a leadership role at the organization. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't think I can fit it all in. And, and so um, I felt, you know, after a bit of processing called to quit school. <laughs> and so I quit school and, and decided to take on this position. But for me, I'm wired differently than a lot of other people. Um, so don't take this as, you know, as a prescriptive advice for your own life. But for me, I found that rest doesn't necessarily come from laying on the couch, making sure I have enough free time to watch movies or to even play games like Frisbee. What are kids playing these days? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> No, I'm I play Frisbee. But uh, for, for me, rest really comes um, from variety and um, stimulating my mind in a different way and learning about, you know, different, like I said, different worlds. And, and so uh, in college, I was involved with a lot of different stuff, but it all felt so freeing and exciting and rejuvenating to go from school to ministry to, you know... Um, extracurriculars, that transition was the rejuvenating act that I needed in between all of them. I think if I just did school, I would have burned out if I would have just because I'll go all in for something. And, and so um, the same is true for me today. If I were just doing the business, I think I would be all consumed by it. And that would be the only lens through which I viewed the world and I potentially could get burned out. So getting to go to the Middle East and getting to Involved with my church and with kids to see the world through their eyes—that in and of itself is refreshing. And even as, as I'm talking about it, just gets you know gets me excited. I'm like, I'm so excited to transition over and and see the kids again. I'm so excited to you know to go to the Middle East or to you know work with this church there. I'm so excited about our business, and it keeps you from from getting all consumed. Um, it, and from inflating something beyond what it actually should be in your life, you know, it can't have that much of a hold, um, which I had the tendency to do with business. If, if we go through busy seasons at work, sometimes I'll get fried. And the reason I get fried is because I'm not viewing it in the light that it should be viewed. I'm viewing it as everything, as opposed to just one aspect of who I am, one creative outlet. Um, and so... Yeah, that that's kind of how I get rejuvenated through, you know, multiple different activities. And like I said, not prescriptive, but it's, it's what I do. So,
1: yeah, that's a great way to, to frame that question about balance because I think it, and, and one thing it struck me from what you just said too, is the word relationship, that that's really what this is all coming from. It's not just your to-do list, but it's this sense of, I love this person. I want to partner with this person. And then the way that you've done that with your family. And I'd love to just have you kind of leave our audience here, you know, people who might be already in family businesses, thinking about family business, Um, looking back on your journey thus far, um, what's some advice, um, just some parting words that you would give to people who are thinking about maybe stepping into a a lifestyle or opportunities like the ones you're in?
2: Yeah, so I think, For me, um, the theme that I have been operating on for the last maybe five or six years, like I said, was this this horizon theme. Um, And I think if you are stepping into business or if you're stepping into ministry or if you're stepping into relationships, if you don't allow yourself both to have a horizon or to paint horizons for other people, then you'll find yourself spinning your wheels and and getting your motivation out of whack and and all of those things. And so I I would say, um, allow yourself to see your family relationships through Horizon. Your your parents have paved this legacy for you in front of you. And and there's a way that they view the world and there's something that has motivated them since the very beginning um, and, and something that they've tried to instill, but often we're deaf to that. Uh, and, and looking back, I'm so thankful for the for a chance to reflect on my childhood in a podcast format, because I don't take the time really to to appreciate the horizon that, that my dad was trying to instill in my life. He's like, no, 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 don't just look at the ground. Don't just look at this airsoft gun in front of you or this grass seed or, you know, or. Um, this this college class in front of you. No, look above it. You know, look at what I'm trying to instill in you and this future that your mom and I have been working on since the very beginning. Is that is going to impact the world? And you should find your horizon and and figure out what you're going to pass along to your descendants um, to give them that horizon and. Um, and then as you know, we're creating a business, I would, I would say that's the thing that's kept my dad and I in a healthy relationship is that we aren't just looking at the ground in front of us. We're not just looking at the you know, the, the margins of profit at the bottom of the, the spreadsheet. Or, no, we, we both have the same horizon that we're pursuing together of impacting people, of dignifying. Um, and then also, I'd say I, I've learned to appreciate in him his entrepreneurial vision. Um, even if you're not an entrepreneur, you have an entrepreneurial vision. There's something that you're, you, that you desire to create and develop. So, um, I'd say my advice for you as you are processing through your relationship with your family, first of all, is, is to find that entrepreneurial vision and that, you know, that, um, future that they've paved in, in front of you and try to give voice to it, specific voice, um, and then also, as, as you're processing through where you're headed, find the horizon that you desire to paint for the world. Find the horizon that you desire to paint in your work, even if you're not creating a business, create a horizon in a relationship. Pass that on. and then if, if you're blessed with kids, instill that in them. Let them know that you're not just you're not just teaching them so that they can feel like they've done what you want them to do. So you're proud of them. No, just, if if you just lay on them, the next thing to do, then, then sometimes they can be weighed down by it. But if you, if you place in front of them a horizon and say, this is what I've seen, son, daughter, run after it. Let's run after it together. If you want to, you know, take, take that, the financial resources that I can place before you let's invest in, in a horizon together toward the future. Um, I'd say that, that, that would be the advice that I have. And um, I'm just, starting to figure out, um, the blessing that that's been in my life, but, um, I hope you guys can see that as well. Um, and, uh, yeah,
0: we are so blessed and I'm just grateful. So thanks for having me. Great. Thanks so much, Mike. You really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll catch you next time on the Ascendance podcast. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.
1: Thank y'all.